Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're, You're listening, listening to, to Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Tim Burrows. Joining me to break down the week in media and marketing is our news editor, Paul Wallbank. Hello there. Our deputy editor, Josie Tutty. Hello. Our senior media reporter, Zoe Samios. Hello. And our senior agencies reporter, Abigail Dawson. Hello. Plus, coming up later, we'll be chatting to Oath's management team about the company's latest Australian push. We have no interest or intention of just dumping a load of US brands in, in the Australian market and assuming that the users will, will flock to us. But first, the week's topics. Fairfax shareholders approve the takeover. ASIC goes after Harold Mitchell. OMD wins Suncorp's giant media account. And Bridal Magazine shuts apparently because of same-sex marriage. So let's start with the latest stage in the long engagement between Fairfax Media and Nine Entertainment Co. And we, when I say engagement, I mean takeover. Um, Zoe, you were at Fairfax's general meeting, which was one of the final stages. couple of late twists, though, before we got to the vote. Yes, there was a big late twist on Sunday evening. Anthony Catalano, who... Uh, for those of you that might have forgotten him, although I, I highly doubt it was who the who could forget the cat. <laughs> who could forget the cat was the domain CEO until earlier this year when he resigned. He basically sent a letter to Chairman Nick Falloon, Fairfax Media Chairman Nick Falloon, on Sunday evening, proposing to buy a nineteen point nine percent share in Fairfax Media, ultimately to stop the merger of Nine and Fairfax, which. Considering the scheme vote was the following morning, it obviously threw a bit of a spanner in the works. And when I went down there in the morning, you know, you had every journalist outside and then a number of people meeting indoors to decide what they actually did about that. I even think there probably would have been some speech changes last minute to sort of adapt to what was happening. But rest assured, as soon as we got into the scheme vote meeting, uh, Nick Falloon addressed it straight away. He said that they didn't consider it to be a legitimate counterproposal and they basically rejected rejected uh Anthony Catalano's letter so because he hadn't actually bought 19.9% no he hadn't bought he hadn't bought the shares he just proposed to do it and they basically said it was not a counter proposal to what nine and Fairfax was doing and you know as you can tell from the percentage it wasn't a majority it's a majority a major share but not the majority which is not what nine is proposing catalano's history is worth recapping a bit so way back in the day a fairfax employee initially a journalist then he kind of got into the um real estate side of things in business roles was ousted and made redundant this was out of melbourne where he then set up effectively in competition to fairfax who then brought him back into the family by buying his company installing him as the boss of Domain, which is Fairfax's own brand, bringing it all together, which made him a, a minority shareholder of Fairfax in his own right. And then, of course, they successfully part-floated Domain a few months back. Yeah, so he currently is a shareholder, not a 19.9% shareholder. I think he has 1% in Domain and Fairfax anyway. This was a proposal, to, and his argument was, I've been part of Fairfax, as you just mentioned, Tim, for so many years. I understand the business, and I think I can uh, bring more value to shareholders, which is what I guess the crux of this argument has been, you know, synergies and all of that and cross-platform opportunities, but also ultimately bringing value to shareholders. Because one of the arguments against the merger being that since the deal was announced, both nine and Fairfax's share prices have declined significantly. Um, 
more than 20%, I think. Off the top of my head, it's just about that. And that was actually addressed at, it was either the scheme vote or the annual general meeting, which took place immediately after the scheme vote on Monday morning. And, and Falloon basically said, you know, Yes, it has. But also we, if you look at the market in the last few months, there are a number of different companies that have fallen an odd 20%. It's not just us. And it's not so much a reflection of the merger as much as the changing market. That was his argument, whether or not you would agree with that each to one's own. I mean, it's a fair observation. If you mm. look at the, you know, the index, the main ASX indication indicators, sort of over the last two years, the indexes are pretty much at the low spot in that. So exactly. to, that, to that point, it's a fair point. And they they did hit their lowest point, I think, last I checked was yesterday, and it, it was starting to fall again, but it did hit a very low point a couple of weeks back, which – to be fair, they've been this this first deal between Knight and Fairfax was announced on July twenty six. The market has gone considerably collapsed in that time. So you can see that their point is not just that it's about the merger. I suppose one argument is is it does it become a breakup play, which is what he was arguing. In other words, as a shareholder, are you now going to get better value by selling the AFR to one person and and then sell your stake in stand to nine and so on. Yeah, I I mean, I personally wouldn't agree with that. I think that there's a massive benefit and I not to, to you know, absorb the spin of nine and Fairfax or anything, but there is genuine opportunity in cross-platform uh, opportunities for advertisers and opportunities for different brands. I know that Hugh Marks, the CEO of Nine, talked to me about, you know, working with Macquarie Media and using cross-platform talent for uh, sports and, and other things. There's definitely opportunity when you integrate them together, pulling them apart separately. If you want to talk about losing brand identity and that, I would think that dissecting and putting the AFR under one ownership, SMH under another, domain under another, that would actually do more damage than good. So you sat next to Hugh at the vote. What did you get out of sitting next to him? Uh, not a great deal. Hugh was very quiet at the back of the room there with all the uh, with all the media journos just observing carefully. It's another Zoe Samios exclusive. You heard it here first. And um, what happens next? What are the final stages? So they've got to go through court approval. Uh, that second court date is November 27 from the top of my head. Should there be no complications in that? And Anthony Catalano has flagged that he will debate the decision in court previously, whether or not he actually does will be, is yet to be seen. It would be an interesting test case, wouldn't it? The mm. idea that on behalf of future, but not yet shareholders, you can go to court. Potentially. Yes. Yeah. So it will be interesting to see what happens there, but provided that is all good. I think they said the official trading day for the companies as one, uh, a joint nine will be December 10. So we will see it before Christmas, which is, Incredibly quick considering the size of the two businesses, I think. Next, ASIC takes on Harold Mitchell. Hello, this is Future Tim. You're about to hear us discuss whether Harold Mitchell should resign as chairman of Free TV Australia. Here's a spoiler through the magic of podcasting. Shortly after we recorded this next bit, Harold did indeed resign. Now, back to past Tim. So ASIC, the Australian Securities and Investments Commission, announced this week that they're launching legal action against Harold Mitchell and Stephen Healy, Tennis Australia directors at the time of the 2013 Tennis TV rights. Um, 
Josie, this one uh, was a bit of a bombshell uh, this week. You were on the news desk. What, what, what was the story? Yeah, so ASIC is claiming that Harold Mitchell and Steve Healy, who, as you say, were both directors of Tennis Australia, Harold Mitchell being a vice president um, in 2013, they're claiming that they both with, withheld information from the Tennis Australia board and then CEO Steve Highwood relating to TEN's interest in the tennis right. Now, Seven eventually won those rights. Um, let's just go back in time a little bit here because 2013 was a long time ago. Um, Seven retained the broadcasting rights for five years. At the time, they had held them for four decades. So it was Seven and Tennis were a thing. Ten had made it clear in the press that they were interested in getting the rights. Um, then CEO Hamish McLennan said on stage at Mumbrella 360, no less, that they would be mad not to put it on the open market. That never happened. Seven were in exclusive negotiating rights and it never went beyond that. So Seven ended up winning the rights. Um, but ASIC are claiming that there was some information that was withheld during that time. Look, and, and one of, obviously one always has to be careful with a legal case like this, but um, the the allegations that ASIC made are now part of the public record because a lot of those allegations are in the court document and what they certainly suggest and make the allegation, which of course will be tested in court either way, was they suggest that while he was acting as a director of Tennis Australia, uh, Harold Mitchell was also in communication with Seven and they provide uh, some examples of emails sent internally at Seven reflecting conversations that were going on um, that suggested that, uh, that that Harold Mitchell was keeping them informed on what was going on in conversations with Ten as well. Um, which, which, which clearly they, 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 they suggest was not what was appropriate behavior for a director. I did see this week the Guardian put up a piece talking about the pressure that free TV was under at the moment to get rid of Harold Mitchell. So it, we will see if anything, I guess, comes to fruition on that front. And I think this also shows, and this goes back to the nine Fairfax merger as well, that with a reduced number of players in the market, you are going to get these conflicts of interest as well, because everyone's going to know everyone in the zoo. So it's because, really of hard. course, in 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 days of yore with corporate Australia, it wasn't a mates club. No, absolutely no not. You perish the thought. <laughs> now, um, for for for, for listeners who, who maybe come into you know sort of the Australian media over the last four or five years. It's worth emphasising just what a big name and big player in Australian media was, um, Harold Mitchell was back in the day. So he was the founder of Mitchell and Partners, which was the biggest, one of the world's biggest media independents, but also a huge player in Australia as a kind of media buying point, which, um, he eventually uh, floated on 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 the ASX through a through a reverse takeover, but then uh, eventually, you know, made his sort of first fortune when the company was taken over by by Aegis, and then a second fortune when that was in turn taken over by Dentsu to become Dentsu Aegis. Um, not that long ago, since um, since Mitchell's was was. You know, rebadged the Aegis brands of, uh, of, 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 I guess, Caro as the main one. So it, it's been, um, it's been a huge journey for him to become someone so, so well known, you know, if not a billionaire, then close on. Um, so the stakes in this are pretty high. I would say that if with whatever happens in court, and, and as you said, Harold Mitchell is a very well known 
media person, this can't be good from a reputation perspective, regardless one way or another. I mean, to have allegations in this situation after years and years in media and to be caught in headlines across multiple news outlets, I, I, I wouldn't be feeling very comfortable about that. Look, it was one of those ones, the moment the press release making the announcement as it came in, it thought, well, this is going to be one of the media stories for the next 12 months. Next, another magazine bites the dust. So we saw another casualty of the Australian print industry this week, a magazine. Not quite the traditional biting of the dust by, you know, the the usual kind of advertising pressures or lack of advertising pressures and lack of circulation that uh, uh, sometimes haunts magazines. Um, With Bridal Magazine, White Magazine, there was a different explanation. When the plebiscite happened, everybody was putting up their support of the campaign supporting same-sex marriage and we started getting messages then you're the only magazine in Australia that's not showing your support like come on guys jump on board move forward with 2018 but then there was always something that just stopped us because we just didn't want to enter into that conversation that wasn't a loving conversation and add heat to a hot conversation. The accusations that it's unfair that at this time we're not featuring same-sex marriage, I, I get that that's, like, I get that that can be hurtful. People feel that's unfair, like I do. I t- and that's part of the tear within us because we don't want anyone to feel that way. So Zoe, I remember being absolutely fascinated by this one. So it first crossed my radar. It was in the Weekend Australian, and I was I was, I was was killing time in the lounge in Singapore, and luckily there was a copy of the Weekend Australian Thank in. <laughs> and it was very much written that, written that this this you know the this claim by this couple around this magazine um that obviously they'd chosen to we could use the word discriminate i suppose again against portraying same-sex couples they were arguing that by advertisers then staying away this was a tremendous attack on their freedoms and it was very much written that what what made this a sad day was that people no longer had the the rights as um magazine owners to expect advertisers to support them if they uh didn't represent the whole the whole community or that that tried to be the argument um that feels like an argument for for religion. Like it, it feels like the argument that people have with religion and their freedom to exercise. Look, I was doing my best to be balanced, but clearly it was a bullshit argument. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, look, I don't agree with that argument at all uh, for a number of different reasons. But you know, when you look at the same sex, and we're almost at the one year, or we've just had the one year anniversary of the same sex uh, marriage vote in Australia, and you saw that the majority of Australians felt like it should be legalised. And in that time, I think I personally have written two stories of same-sex marriage magazines launching to cater for that audience. Well, let's just cop- let's just cover off this one, the facts of this one then. Okay, so basically uh, the reason that it's closing is because it's not economic. I think the words were economically viable anymore. The main reason for that was that apparently a number of advertisers withdrew their support uh, withdrew their sponsorship rather out of fear of being judged or in protest of this uh, bridal magazine's decision not to include same-sex marriage couples, which I think, I you know, if you think about that as an argument, okay, everyone has a view. I personally don't agree with that. And I can see the problem with a brand being seen to align with something that actively does not want to include the entire community. You can see that the challenge 
the, the challenge that would place for a brand in light of everything that's happened in the last year with same-sex marriage in Australia, it becoming legalised, to then be aligned to a magazine that is outright and explicitly said, we don't want this in our title, you can see why either by protest or out of fear, a brand would not be aligned because all it takes is for one of us to realise that those brands are being aligned to a magazine that is, as you said before, to use your words, Tim, discriminating, all of a sudden that would cause a lot more outrage and they'd probably lose customers as well. I suppose where where, where it's sort of, a, I guess almost where I land on it is, it's your magazine, absolutely, you have a, a right to write about whatever you want to but it doesn't give you the right to expect advertising support from the market. When I heard their video which they released which was describing why they had to shut I did have the world's tiniest violin playing. (laughs) Weddings are obviously obviously a central part of the same-sex marriage debate. If not the point of the debate. (laughs) Exactly so I just feel like they're missing a trick as as a magazine that writes about weddings why would you not jump on that bandwagon so many so many brands have jumped on that bandwagon to great effect and it's been a really good marketing strategy for them so why would a magazine not want to get involved in that it doesn't seem to make much sense to me i did have a quick read over again and notice that they i think abby who wrote the story uh said christian founders as well so obviously there was a personal or religious point of view involved that's fine you're entitled to your opinion but i would say that if you are running a magazine, don't be shocked then that other people will not align with your view because just like religion, people are not going to align with everyone's opinion in any aspect of the word and it's not it's out of your control. You can't tell people you must advertise with us. If they don't want to based on your beliefs, then that's their own choice and that would be the case for anything in any magazine. What surprised me with it was that in such a competitive marketplace because there's no shortage of wedding magazines in the market, Cutting out 10, 15% of the marketplace was a really risky thing to do. And uh, from a commercial point of view, I, I thought that was, that was brave in itself. Next, a big win for OMD. So this week, one of the biggest media wins of the year took place for OMD as they secured Suncor. So Abby, 2018 has been pretty kind to OMD, hasn't it? OMD have definitely had quite a good two years, I would argue. Um, You know, looking back at last year, McDonald's consolidated its media account with OMD. They won the Simplot account and also retained the Beeresdorf account as well. Um, And then sort of, you know, if you look to this year, they have also had a good year, but in terms of people retention and and hiring, Di Richards became the Melbourne MD uh, about 11 months ago after – Margie Reid joined Thinkabell. Uh, Qantas consolidated its international buying account with OMD. Sean Whitnell became its chief digital officer and Sharon Cookson also returned to the agency's managing partner of Melbourne. So they definitely have had a very good year in that respect. And then now they've also won a $70 million account. And what else should we bear in mind about this win, Abby? So the interesting thing with this is Suncorp has also gone through a lot of changes at the moment. Um, back in May, MNC Saatchi's GM Mim Hasem joined Suncorp as its general manager of brand and marketing. Um, and also a month after that, Suncorp put its APIA account out to pitch, which was held with DDB Melbourne. So that's still uh, for, for its creative account. And they also launched a new brand platform, Money with Sunny, which has been somewhat um, 
controversial with a lot a lot of our readers, uh, and I, I'm not sure if people sort of uh, quite got the campaign, but it certainly uh, has drawn attention. But it's also important to note that the Suncorp account move comes only one year after the financial service provider appointed publicist to reposition the brand. Publicist created a bespoke offering when they won this account about a year ago uh, and Publicis won the account from Starcom, which of course is uh, another Publicis agency. But uh, the change comes, you know, only a year later and it's understood that in the pitch with uh, OMD was Mediacom and Publicis Media acting as a Publicis One model. So it's certainly a great win for OMD. It's one of the bigger media accounts that have been out to pitch this year and it's definitely a good way to finish the year for them. Coming up next, I'll throw to Zoe, who will be talking about Oath's attempts, again, to crack Australia. Hi everyone, I'm Zoe Samuel, Senior Media Reporter, and back on the desk this time we have a number of key executives from Oath, including Managing Director Paul Sigloff. Hello. Annie Havercroft, Oath's Chief Marketing Officer. Hi. Simon Wheeler, Head of Content. Hello. And Rachel Page, Head of Sales. Hi Zoe. So it's been a big year for Oath, although I suspect some of our listeners are more familiar with the previous name Oath was operating with in this market, Yahoo 7. Perhaps it's best to start with you, Paul, in case some of our listeners have forgotten. Do you want to give me a run through uh, where Oath was in March this year and what's happened in that time? Absolutely. So Oath is um, Verizon's media group. And uh, you might have uh, read recently that um, Hans Vestberg is the CEO of Verizon. He's restructured the business. Uh, There's a consumer division, there's a business division, and Oath is the media division. And Oath is really um, a pledge, a commitment, a promise to three really important stakeholder groups. You've got our consumers, the billion plus people globally that love Oath and come back and consume the products. You've got Um, our advertisers, the lifeblood of our business, and our people, because our people are all important in terms of how we absolutely uh, build and deliver on the strategy. Um, So Oath is really all about culture and code. That's the way we talk about it internally. And from a culture perspective, think about the founding businesses, the DNA of uh, AOL and Yahoo, two of the founding companies of the internet. And uh, they've been creating amazing content um, since their inception through uh, an array of different brands. Uh, And then from a code perspective, you've also got um, brands like Gemini, One by OL, Brightroll, amazing features and functions. And what we've uh, been able to do is repackage all of that into uh, Oath ad platforms, which launched earlier in uh, November. And uh, ultimately, Oath sits at the intersection of culture and code. So it doesn't put code over culture or culture over code, um, but it really is in the middle. And that's really what defines us and that's what differentiates us. So you've had a busy year, to put it pretty simply. Um, But this isn't the first time, and that's my understanding, that Yahoo and AOL joined to form what we now know as Oath. But Yahoo and AOL have both been in Australia for a number of years, haven't they? Do you want to sort of talk about, and I think I wrote an op-ed a while ago about the history of those brands in this market. They have been around for a while, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And really, they've been through what was our joint venture, old joint venture with the Yahoo 7. Um, But those brands often existed in the background. 
and the focus had been JV brands. But what's an interesting backdrop is that with that focus, there was still half the Australian and half the New Zealand population consuming a lot of these brands that people loved. So now we're Oath and we're singularly focused on, on our house of brands. We've got the opportunity to really elevate those brands and ensure that, you know, the consumers uh, that are engaged in their, ten, in their millions um, can continue to consume and we can invest in new content creation, in marketing, in uh, really um, engaging more consumers. Uh, and that's a really exciting proposition for Australians and New Zealanders. Um, Simon, you're obviously head of content. Were you head of editorial at one point as well? I was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that. I think I, I think I got you to give me a couple of statements about things happening in the publishing space. Um, I guess the obvious question is what can we expect from your side going forward? Uh, I, uh, Oath has a number of different consumer brands. HuffPost is the one that I think I'm probably most familiar with. Sure. Uh, what will be a little bit different going forward now? Yeah, we, we've... Um, been spending a lot of time the last six plus months really you know best part of this year investigating what Siggy referred to as the the house of brands that we have now Um, and we've been really thorough and selective as to what brands we want to bring to this market Um, we have no interest or intention of just dumping a load of US brands in in the Australian market and assuming that the users will will flock to us. Um, So we've uh, highlighted uh, four key brands that I think we're going to, well, I think we are going to be kicking off with from a consumer point of view. Um, And they fit under what the the American term that Oath uses called super channels. To you and I, that's, that's verticals basically, focusing on new sport, lifestyle, and finance. So first off off the bat is Yahoo Finance. You may have seen um, some of the marketing and some of the, the out-of-home um, stuff that's that's gone live in, in recent weeks. Yahoo Finance has been pretty much kind of unloved and untouched for, for many years in this market. And now being Oath, this is a massive opportunity for us uh, to, to bring that um, bring that brand to life, uh, both from a content point of view. Recently employed um, a, a new editor in chief, the first one in this market, yeah, um, Sarah O'Carroll. Um, so, and she's doing a, doing a great job. We've we've invested there, and we've got a really clear plan of what we want to do with that brand. Not just from a content point of view, but working with Annie's team from a marketing point of view. How do we elevate that brand? Totally get that these are brands that um, are kind of need elevation so we've got a lot of work to do but it's uh, there's a clear plan mm. and i think that's the exciting thing this is the first time where we get to invest in our own brands under our own steam and yahoo finance is the first marketing campaign that's been um, released and invested in and it's a multi-million dollar campaign and for the first time we're not living in the digital world in terms of advertising you see us out and about and that's very much the focus of what we're trying to do with marketing and um, making sure that we're not a two-dimensional digital brand anymore. We are a multifaceted brand and something like Yahoo Finance has a really strong uh, following already. It's top 10 in terms of Nielsen um, Finance category. So this is our opportunity to build on top of that and go out into the real world with, you know, out of home and um, cafe screens and office screens and, uh, and live where our consumers are. 
Would you say then that, and that for the cynics out there, they might be like, oh, well, the brands with, that sit within Oath have, have been around forever. How do we know that they're actually committed this time round? Like, are they really giving it a crack or is it just all talk? It, would you say that the, the marketing push and the prevalence to really be front-facing brands is how you're proving that for yeah. those cynics out there? Absolutely. We're putting mon- our money where our mouth is. And this is, you know, with uh, what Siggy was saying about the um, ownership of Verizon and the vast resources that we have and the support and the backing of Verizon and Oath Global allows us to be really strategic in where we invest. And we're investing in brands that we know are in high demand in Australia and we know that have um, a lot of resonance with um, consumers out there. So this is about the start of um, continuing to build those brands. Uh, And I think it's important to note as well is that the that being part of Oath now, the, the scale of uh, the opportunity and the support and the resources f- from some of the other international markets, the US and the UK primarily, um, is really evident. And that's certainly one of the biggest changes I've seen in my certainly my role in the last you know six plus months, um, probably 10, 12 months. It has been that that working with those international markets and just getting. A window into you know the sheer commitment to answer your question about you know whether that we're serious about brands like this absolutely yeah well I, and I, I think um, we've spoken um, Paul before as well about half posts and everyone feeling like it was a skeleton of what it once was and it wasn't just this market there are other markets overseas as well um, so I definitely think there's this feeling of oh US brands in the Australian market what's different about them especially when we already have so many big brands in this market um, that have existed for some time yeah totally totally get that and that has been the core focus of all of this team really and and many others back at the office about which ones are suitable for this market so Mm. and it's all about creating sustainable brands and we've got some learnings from HuffPost and what this is about is ensuring that we build those brands with continuity with continuous investment and you know whether it's um, building up Simon's team or investing more into the marketing that's certainly what we have planned out for the next um, few years the brands are in really good health even with a lack of focus you've still got sort of millions of, of consumers and you'll know from creating content and sharing it and posting it um, those audiences don't come uh, you know just uh, just on a whim they're there because they're engaged they're passionate they like the the, the editorial they like the content and uh, they, they feel deeply passionate and they have a connection mm-hmm. so I think with the strong base that we have and the increased investment and focus uh, it's a very exciting time um, for Australia in terms of the ability to dial up those brands and we talk a lot about uh, global scale but local autonomy and I think that's really um, liberating and exciting for you know Simon from an editorial perspective the way he wants to structure his team and employ people and, and create new content and Annie from you know a marketing perspective she could just go out understand all of those great learnings from across the globe but localize them and and again the marketing campaign for Yahoo Finance you just mentioned uh, is a great testament to that it's all local creative uh, and uh, it's it's really resonating, and we're seeing an increase in DAUs and MAUs. So, uh, good job, Annie. <laughs> uh, where just on just on the note of you know bringing audiences in and people coming in, where are they coming from? Because as a Yahoo Mail, um, a person that has a Yahoo Mail account, yeah, I, I know I actually am one of those people. Um, <laughs> I th- I feel like the old way was you know you you knew, you knew through 
you knew Yahoo through having a Yahoo Mail or a 9MSN account mm-hmm. um, as well and, and a lot of the audience would come in that way. Where are you seeing your audiences come in from now? Yeah, social, of course, is, is a big traffic driver for us and we've got some of the, you know, the, the you know, most engaged social pages, Facebook primarily, primarily obviously. Um, but we're, we're spending a lot of time and focus on SEO um, you know that that's uh, that's an obvious one, and and we're also very focused on diversifying our traffic sources. So we're working with Apple for Apple News, um, you know, Flipboard, LinkedIn. You know, we just it's clear that we need to put our co- our content, you know, bring it to the consumer rather than assume they're going to come to log out of their their email, <laughs> yeah, um, email account, yeah, yeah and, and land on the on the front page. Having said that, the front page, or as we call it, the homepage, the Yahoo homepage, is still a considerable traffic driver. So there are clearly a lot of mail users out there as well. <laughs> what about? Um video content because i know when it was yahoo 7 a big part of that was the news content that was coming in from probably channel 7 news um and it was sort of a combined effort how much of a prevalence will that have on the homepage and across the brands now yeah we won't have and don't have a a shortage of video either be it 7 news or, or or what comes next um we've we've as part of Oath, we are, you know, it has opened the doors to an absolute ton of video content and written content, in fact. Um, the challenge, in fact, is is making sure we get the, the quality right over the quantity is trying to, you know, there is so much. Um, and so we use the, the best, you know, bits of that content that comes through. We're all on the, the same CMS um, to publish. All markets are exactly the same, so we can all share that content. But we're also, let's not forget, creating a lot of our own original stuff. Mm. Um, in fact, um, we've just built a studio um, within the, the office. I'm going to have to come in and see see this office and the studio there. Yeah, I think the, <laughs> the, the, light, the lighting rig uh, went up today or this afternoon. Um, and um, so, yeah, we're going to be creating a lot of original content. Um, so, so, yeah, we won't have a, a content problem in that respect. And who do you see yourself from a consumer facing and we'll we'll get to the sales side and the advertising side as well but from a consumer facing side who do you see as your competitors now obviously seven's about to launch their own product in market are they now i i hate to say competitor but that almost feels like they're a competitor as much as um 10 daily and and nine and and as well as you know buzzfeed and all the other guys who are you seeing yourselves up against yeah inevitably you need to measure yourself against your closest competitors and you know the nielsen top 10 um is an obvious starting point but where i'd say we are different um is we have a a kind of laser like focus not so much on those monthly mau numbers we're about daus daily active users and a core kind of um uh halo to all of all of these brands how do we get consumers and users coming back day after day and what are we giving them we can't just have an app or a or a series of websites and assume people are going to come and read our content we need to there needs to be a value exchange there so we're working hard and this is kind of coming from ceo level down around how how do we build membership and so in terms of our competitors it's anyone else who's really chasing those daily users and giving people a reason to to come back be it for finance news lifestyle sport and what does that of that value exchange look like? What when we talk about membership, what are we talking about? We're talking e-commerce. We're talking, um, we're talking, uh, literally, a, possibly a monetary exchange. You earn points. You know, these are all things. You know, that we're we're investigating. How can we bring that to to this market um, to really build up a loyal returning user base? 
Yeah. And just to add to that, it'd be personalization, utilities. Sure. Um, there's, a, there's a whole uh, bunch of stuff that we can bring in. But it's, to Simon's point, it's all about that member centricity. And we, we talk a lot about membership um, within our company and, and just understanding what modern day consumers who are all really time poor want and how they need to actually be consuming and 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 all um members are different they have a different mix of of content requirements and we we talk about our ecosystem or our supers and it's getting that that right blend of of content but thinking about modern day consumption some some members want to go narrow and deep and then they want to have all you can eat on on yahoo finance and Whereas others just want to know top line stocks and shares, news, weather, entertainment, sports. There's a real myriad of, of different requirements. But I think it's using the rich data that we have on our users, the scale that we have and those insights, those actionable insights to really shape those future consumption um, products. And I think that's, that's what we're really excited about is how we differentiate and bring that to life. The, the data piece is interesting. It's probably a good chance to loop in uh, Rachel, who is also on the table with all of our microphones. So she's, she's come on in. Um, you're obviously working with advertisers and there's a whole component to this new Oath story that's to do with them. Do you want to sort of run through, um, well, perhaps I think Oath Platforms is probably the place to start and maybe give us a bit more depth about that because I know when I wrote about it, it was very top line and I'm sure you know a lot more and can and can add a lot more to what I've already written. Thank you, yes. Um, so if we go back to culture and code and Siggy was saying before, that is what makes us different. Uh, we're just midway through our go-to-market or B2B launch, which, uh, which we're exhausted and slightly weightier <laughs> for doing um, as we chose to do a number of, of key events um, over the last three or four weeks across Australia and New Zealand to uh, really engage our key advertisers and clients because we've got such a story to tell. Um, so I, I guess within the context of that, culture and code is what makes us different. And we look at the, the uh, culture part and these amazing businesses um, and companies that have informed culture over the years through their storytelling and their content. And then you look at the code part, which is the data and the tech. So we play in both. We don't choose one or the other. And we talk about competitors. We've probably got, you know, we, that's our uniqueness. So we compete against all, I guess, in a certain way, but we do both and we're an end-to-end solution. Um, and that includes our really um, our first party data, which is super strong, and we've we've already got um, really you know loyal, engaged clients and um, and brands that are engaging with us on, in in data, uh, and we're continuing to get breadth and depth of data and and um, you know link up with with other parties, but also concentrate on our own. Um, I think this year has been. A lot of the major groups are really starting to look at data and what that means for them, and I think um, what Oath and you know Oath's data offering can provide. Uh, the market in 2019 is really, um, I guess, it's a jigsaw at the moment. Everyone's trying to bring it all together. So how do we we bridge the gaps or, or put the pieces together of the the big data jigsaw? I guess in a way, uh, and then from Oath Platform's point of view. It's been the coming together of, you know, AOL and Yahoo and many platforms and 600 engineers, a big body of work that I can't imagine. I'd rather be at lunch doing the go-to-markets. <laughs> um, that's been a massive amount of work to bring to launch Oath Platforms. So it's a simplified offering, um, you know, no more com- complexity. It joins all those amazing products that our clients and agencies are already using, um, you know, in, in one platform, which is obviously required. Uh, it's also very flexible, so clients can deal with us in whichever way they want. We are agnostic. We don't try and keep everybody in. We we like to um, 
you know, fulfil their, their needs and like them to work with us from a platform's point of view in whichever way they feel is, is the best way to work. Well, yeah. What is the best way these days? Because I, f- I think, you know, when oh, I, I don't want to put a timeline on it, but it felt like everyone was doing display advertising once and now the demands have obviously changed significantly. What do advertisers want from you guys? Everything. <laughs> and that's why we have both platforms. <laughs> um, through Advertising Demand, we've brought everything together. So, you know, DSP Video, um, uh, you know, Native and Display, we, we offer all of it. So I think that is something we're all rolling out to market at the moment is, yeah. you know, we don't categorise and, and we, we don't put you set you in, you know, one platform in terms of uh, video display or a native offering. Um, you know, we, we have a, a large network um, for... Um, you know, I guess from a from a product point of view, we can you know reach reach all um, consumers in all formats on our through Oath platforms. And if I can just pipe in as an yeah, advertiser, of course, taking please. my um, CMO hat off and putting my um, advertiser hat off uh, on, I think the brilliant thing because we use Oath ad platforms in our advertising, and you know, I'd keep talking about eating our own dog food, and uh, and we use our products That's in that a great way. Analogy. <laughs> um, but you've got to put your money where your mouth is as well. And I think the wonderful thing about Oath pla- ad platforms from a marketing and an advertising perspective is that it's it gives you the results that you're after based on the KPIs that you set, and. It's the intelligent application of the data to give you the targeting that you need um, to be able to deliver those results. And, uh, and we've got significant improvement in our campaigns um, quarter on quarter as a result of um, seeing a lot of that integration coming into the one interface for Oath ad platforms. So I think it's just a simplification of whether you're using DSP, native or, uh, or video all in the one interface, which is nice and easy for me and nice and easy for my team. <laughs> well, that's good. I guess a, a question that I did want to sort of look at, I'm not sure, um, Rachel, if you're best placed or, or maybe Paul, um, but we've obviously seen a lot of change in the media landscape in Australia in the last 12 months. Probably this week alone we've seen the – or in the last few weeks we've seen the progression of the Nine and Fairfax merger – I had a chat or a lunch a few weeks back with a media executive that was talking to me about the concerns that they had. They they weren't, you know, a nine or a Fairfax or a, or a news or a seven and how concerned they were that, that a large combined media brand could take ad revenue from them. I'm curious to see where you guys stand on that, um, given you are big internationally, but maybe locally it might not be at the scale of someone like a joint nine business, which we're probably going to see in December. Yes, certainly. Um, I think in terms of uh, the client feedback, so I, I guess I'll go back to the, the, the launch um, events that we've just had. The, the feedback from clients and marketers for Oath has been overwhelming. The, the um, non-prompted um, emails and calls and that sort of thing has been um, amazing. They've been very patient um, waiting for us to launch. We've been very impatient waiting to launch, and we finally have. Uh, in terms of um, the consolidation in the industry, it was always coming. It's been talked about for a very long time. I've been part of that over the years in terms of um, movement. My own oath is shine through change because <laughs> it's not going to stop. So we have to keep evolving, um, and we are, um, you know, we're really committed to oath and what's happening in this market and the investment. You know, there's 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 a lot for us to do, um, and in terms of how we, um, you know, come up against those local powerhouses. Culture and code. I think the um, the global scale and the global support, our tech, our data, um, our content, and the investment we're doing locally, I think, is going to see us um, 
you know, really stack up against those guys. And we've got great people to boot. Yeah. And just to add to that, you know, we're quite advanced on our journey. So whilst we've only just launched, um, it's exciting that next year there's going to be lots of new opportunity, but also a lot of disruption in terms of integration. uh, And a lot of those businesses that have got great momentum will be going through changes. uh, And we can be singularly focused on executing our strategy um, we've got good momentum. We've got real clarity. We've got an engaged workforce. As Rach said, we've just been out in market and we've delivered, you know, these, uh, we've spoken to over 400 um, clients and customers and advertisers. There's a lot of goodwill. So it's now about converting that uh, and keeping momentum and, and focus. So as, as uh, will you, we'll be keeping a close eye on what's happening <laughs> and reading lots on Umbrella. But uh, absolutely, we'll be uh, looking at, you know, what opportunities that presents um, as when these things happen. There's obviously new opportunities and um, part of my role is to kind of stay on the balcony a bit and keep an eye out and say, well, how does that impact us favorably? And we'll be working with a lot of those media uh, companies and businesses from a tech and platforms perspective. So mm. we'll be helping them on their way also. It's an interesting conversation, I think. And, and when I had that conversation um, with that media executive, I said, you know, it's the same thing with the outdoor advertising mergers where you've got you know, two, four big companies turning into two even bigger companies. Um, and I was saying, you know, they're going to serve something. They'll, they'll, the reach is going to be advantageous cross-platform opportunities in the case of Nine is great, but then there will be a place for the others in market because people will want specific data sets or they'll want particular brands. And I'm guessing, Annie, that's where you come in in terms of the brand awareness piece and making sure that when you are competing against all these other guys that Oath's message is really, really clear and the consumer-facing brands as well. Absolutely. And that's um, the brilliant um, piece about the House of Brands is that we're focused on making sure from a B2B point of view, our advertisers and our agencies and our customers understand Oath and our proposition and how we can um, help them through our culture and code and then through our investment in our consumer brand and those that are facing the the day-to-day users on our websites that, you know, they can find us readily and that's across multiple platforms as well. So, you know, we're we're one of their clients uh, as very much as um, we're a part of the landscape ourselves. How big is the the marketing push from you guys this time round? Is it some of the biggest efforts that we've seen from Oath? It is the biggest effort we've um, we've had ever is my understanding. Uh, we're talking multi-million dollar investment and in planning for next year, it is only increasing year on year. And I think that talks to the um, the you know big plays that we have to support our brands, but also about um, maintaining the momentum that we've created this year, especially for something like Yahoo Finance and, uh, and reinvigorating and refreshing some of the existing brands that we've been um, uh, supporting in our stable for a little while. Is the focus on the consumer brands, I asked because I know that uh, when, when Paul and I spoke um, a little while ago, there was international news that the Oath name might actually disappear in the next 12 to 18 months. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's a challenge with here we are, we're the new Oath, but also we might not be Oath in 18 months. Is that, is that a difficult balance for you? Not at all. I mean, we've always been a Verizon company. So that hasn't changed. And I think from a um, B2B perspective, this is about the close relationships that we hold with our agency and our um, partners and our advertisers. Uh, And it's, you know, taking them on the journey with us. 
so that's our main focus is to continue to deliver the results thereafter from that point of view and uh, and making sure that they're um, they're really clear on our proposition and how they can leverage our culture and code. Yeah, and just to chime in, OTHAP platforms is absolutely not going anywhere. Um, I think that's going to maintain to be a, a really strong brand. Uh, I think where we're exploring is, is sort of deeper relationships with Verizon Media Group and actually some of the, uh, from a kind of B2B holding company perspective, that will probably um, supersede and, and potentially, you know, a lot of those consumer facing brands might sit more in that staple. But in terms of support, we feel it, we've never felt more supported. Um, there's a huge amount of focus uh, in this market, which is really exciting. And um, I think we've just got to understand the benefits of getting closer to, to Verizon as, you know, they've got a, a strong um, presence here in Sydney and in a, a number of other countries. So we're just sort of exploring uh, what that truly means for us locally. I, I, it sounds like it's the same conversation that I have with the Fairfax corporate brand name and everyone going, well, you're getting rid of the name. What does that mean for the market? And their argument has been, well, the consumer brands, the ones that everyone consumes aren't changing. You don't think that it's Fairfax Media, it's the Sydney Morning Herald or The Age. It's a, it's a similar argument, I suspect. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, I think we're, we're very um, short on time, according to Josie's nudges from next to me. Um, so I guess, Paul, just, just to wrap up, um, obviously been busy last nine months. Um, what can we expect from Oath in 2019? Yes. Yeah, so look, it's it's been a, a really amazing period of time um, for me personally and professionally, just because I've had the opportunity to launch a business and work with a, an incredibly talented team. And it's not often in your career, I was saying to our people, um, that you can actually build a new business, set your vision, your purpose, your strategy, and, and look at um, delivering on that. So we feel match fit. We've got a really good plan. And uh, a strong springboard, I suppose, from the end of 2018 with the uh, B2B launches and all of the B2C activity. And what you'll see from us in 2019 is continued support and investment on a lot of those consumer brands. Uh, I'm not going to rattle off our, our confidential uh, marketing plan and strategy now, but certainly please invite us back in and we'll share with you um, sort of things that are more, more pressing. But uh, what you'll see is deeper relationships with our consumers, deeper relationship with our advertisers, uh, and we're, we're going to work really hard to, to generate a really profitable business for our shareholders. And we're going to have a, a really good time in the process. So, uh, you know, I think that's, that's important. Well, we might have to um, take you up on that next year, but that's probably all we have time for right now. So thanks, everyone. Thanks, Zoe. Thanks, thanks Zoe. And just before we go, a bit of housekeeping. Thank you for supporting the Mumbrella cast. If you haven't had a chance yet, we'd love it if you could rate it or even write a review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. That's all for now. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Tim. Toodle pet.